And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. What's going on on the inside here in 2020, the year of perfect vision? You tell me. I'd love to hear from you and hear what you have been able to find out about yourself, about your life's purpose, about the direction in your life. And we hope that you will stay with us every Sunday from 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. to the Monday morning broadcast. Podcast at 1 a.m. And the podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and Blueberry, and a bunch of other places that we encourage you to go to. We also encourage you to go to our guest website. We'll give that to you shortly and uh, find out more about what they're doing, the work that they're doing. Maybe they can support and assist you in this process of finding your life's purpose. We encourage you to do that. We also encourage you to support us financially if you can. And I know that it, for a lot of folks, it's a difficulty right now. But we encourage you to do that because it helps us to keep this program moving forward. Uh, I've said this before and I will say it again. I will never, ever, ever put the burden on you. If you can help us out, if you like what we're doing, wonderful. If you can't and if you don't. That's okay, too, because we're all different. We all come from different perspectives. Uh, and the day that I cannot continue to do this program is the day that I don't continue doing the program, at least on the radio broadcast. Uh, but I'm not going to say if you don't support us, we won't, uh, we won't be able to continue. No, I, I am grateful. You have no idea how much I appreciate the support that we get from uh, our uh, uh, our listeners, uh, both from the podcast as well as from the radio broadcast. I call them broadcast podcasts. And uh, so if you can do so, PayPal is uh, one place. Patreon is another. And we'll take any amount. And we'll also take energetic support. Anything you can send us that will help us get through uh, this period of time or any period of time. Uh, I am very optimistic about this period of time, and it's the reason why we continue to do these programs and we continue to have our special guests. And we encourage you to stay with us because we are going to have a returning guest who is going to share with us. It's, ladies and gentlemen, it is story time with Linda Olson, who is a TEDx speaker. Uh, she's a story expert and multiple best-selling author. She is in Southern California and with her husband and uh, two married daughters. And five adorable uh, grandchildren uh, who are the best part of her story. And we're going to find out more about her story as well as find out about your story and what makes a good story. And, well, we'll get into all of that as we continue with Linda Olson here on Tell Me Your Story. And Linda Olson, I want to thank you so much for joining us again to share your story and your work and uh, uh, the whole aspect of your story matters. Own your story and tell it with clarity, confidence and impact. Uh, it's great to have you back again, especially considering the fact that since the last time we spoke, there are... <laughs> All kinds of new and interesting stories, some might even be bizarre, uh, of people who are experiencing something for the very first time, would you not say? Absolutely, yes. And let me just say it's a pleasure to be back with everyone. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for giving us this time. I wish that we could do this face-to-face -face in studio, but yeah, Skype, it's okay. It's working. It's a well, beautiful thing. Well, for now it's good. Maybe someday we'll be able to do that. Absolutely. That day will come, I promise you. Um, this aspect of story is something that I have been aware of for decades. Um, and when we first started this program, some of the people I had on were what they referred to as professional storytellers. Uh, and that they would travel about to share their different ideas. Um, I have a good friend who uh, I've had on this program a number of times who deals in mythology, uh, Dr. Will Lynn, a Ph.D. And mythology is one of the areas that we dealt with in 2014. Uh, we called the programs Mythosophia, Exploring the Depths of Myth and Wisdom. Now, this is one of the areas that I'd like to touch upon, if you don't mind, uh, in regards to 
um, uh, especially, and I, I even brought this up to him, and I'm not sure how much uh, uh, you delve into the mythological aspects of storytelling, uh, but I do know I do know that I used to listen to the cartoon versions of Aesop's Fables on Sunday morning, and uh, and the moral of the story is, not every story is about having a moral. Sometimes the story is just about that particular journey that someone was taking. Right? Okay. Yes. Talk, yes, absolutely. Talk to us and, about the juxtaposition there, if, if you can. Okay. Uh, you know, it isn't something that I've really researched and um, done a lot of work on. But to me... Um, like you said, not every story has a moral. Many times it does. But whether we're talking cartoon characters or some kind of fantasy or whatever, there is usually some aspect of truth involved in all of this. Mm-hmm. And that to me is really the essence of story. It's really being able to share your truth with someone else, sharing an experience However that experience comes out, like I said, it may come out in a fantasy, it may come out in cartoons, it may come out many different ways, but there is some aspect of truth, and that's what you want to hang on to. Well, now you use a word that uh, we have in, uh, (laughs) unfortunately, in our world today, we're having a real hard time with, and that's the word truth. Uh, because, and, and so maybe we should maybe take a look at that. Let's kind of start there if we can, uh, and talk about uh, the various aspects of truth. We're not going to get into debating, uh, who's right, who's wrong. That's, that's not where I want to go with this, but I want to take a look at these concepts of truth in the stories that you talk about. Um, and then we're going to get into another aspect as well of how someone can put together their story in such a way that it is interesting, entertaining, informative, may or may not have a moral. Um, but let's talk about truth. Th- th- there are so many different ideas, I'm going to say, not definitions, but ideas people have about what is truth. Some people say that truth. Uh, you know, the truth, they're immutable. They're, they're like carved in stone, you know, and that type of thing. Other people say that, you know, there, there are truths that, well, rather than me going on, talk to us about that aspect of storytelling and truth. Well, that's an interesting point because, you know, as I did some research and I thought, a story is so important, why aren't we all telling our stories every day, well, uh, what I discovered is the number one reason is because most people don't feel like they have a story. Well, that in itself is a myth because everyone has a story and everyone has a story worth telling. But what we've believed in many respects, we've believed the lie that we don't have a story. Mm. That our life doesn't serve enough value that um, because our story is our life and that, you know, I really don't have anything important to say. Again, another myth. Uh, um, Everyone has something important to say. What we may not have done is taken the time to look internally and consider the the things that we have overcome, the experiences we've had, what we've learned from them. And so therefore, we don't think we have a story. Mm. Now, as you just said, uh, it's a myth. Uh, I, I was I was going to uh, ask you. So and when you say that uh, someone who says, I, I, I don't have a story, my, mine isn't really compelling, mine, that nobody would be interested in my story. Um, and I remember uh, setting up, uh, trying to set up an interview with a guest who had written this book on, um, oh, I can't even remember the title of the book now, but it had to do with uh, returning uh, this nation back to, uh, so, so to speak, its roots. 
well, um, from his perspective. And uh, it was based upon a biblical passage, okay? Uh, if my people who are called by my, I think it was in Chronicles, Second Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name, etc., etc. People, you can look it up. Um, and I was emailing back and forth with a PR gal. And she sent me an email shortly before we were to do the interview and saying that, uh, oh, he doesn't want to do the interview. Well, I, I sent her an email saying, well, why? I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. We've had this set up for three weeks. Da, 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 da. So she sent me, she copied and pasted his comment to her. And the paraphrase of it was, he's got some weird stuff up there. Now, this is a fundamentalist evangelical Christian who I was going to have on the program. I thought it was interesting. It was going to be an interesting program. I was rather intrigued by his perspective. Anyway, so um, I said, well, if you wouldn't mind passing on to him uh, the, my thoughts, and they are, I, I respect your, your position. However, you have no clue as to who's going to be listening. You, of all people, should know. You never know who is going to hear your message. I find it interesting, your perspective, and I would like to share that with our listeners. Some people will like it. Some people won't. That's life. But at least let's put it out there. Let's share, in his case, his story of this particular thing. Well, we never did the interview, of course. And I was kind of disappointed because I thought, wow, you know, folks are really going to miss out. And there may be, even if it's just one person, it could change their lives. It really could. And that's why I don't take a position. I mean, I have my philosophy that, that you know, my beliefs, you know, my truths, if you will, that, that I adhere to today, uh, they will change tomorrow because I'm talking with you right now, Linda, Linda Olson, uh, who is the author of Your Story Matters. And you're going to share with me some things that may change my perspective. Is a story... Uh, what is your perspective on how to set up someone's story? I mentioned, I prefaced this at the beginning of the program. Uh, someone says to you, no, no, I, I don't really have a, no, my, my story doesn't matter. And, and you've finally convinced them that their story is important. So now you've, you've, you've piqued their curiosity. Now what? How does this person begin the process of formulating this, their story so that they can share it with others? I, I, and I suppose they'd have to, you know, you, now you've got to deal with the formatting. You know, what's going to be the format? Is it going to be audio or is it going to be, you know, verbally told and so on and so on? So uh, tell us, how does this begin so that my story actually will matter when it is told in whatever the format is that it is told in? Well, that's a good question. And I think that's where most people get stuck in that whole idea of story. When they think about, do I have an important story? They're thinking about basically, um, it would be like a keynote speaker telling some big signature story. It's their life story. They've had this huge traumatic event and they've worked through it and so forth. But story, that's one aspect of story. Uh, story may be as simple as, well, uh, before I step into that place, uh, <clears throat> stories unfold every day, every day in front of us, especially in the time that we're living in right now where the whole world is affected uh, through this coronavirus that there are new stories unfolding every day. And <clears throat> so if I bring you back to a basic, simple definition that every great story has conflict and asked you, do you have any or have you had any conflict in your life? Mm -hmm. Of course, everyone is going to say, yes, absolutely. I've conflict every day in my life in some, in one way or another. Okay. Well, like I said, that's the, that's the number one ingredient of story. Then behind every conflict is a resolution. There is an answer. There is a solution, some kind of solution. It may not always be the solution that we want, but there is a resolution. So conflict, 
and then resolution and behind every resolution is a new conflict and it's really kind of the pathway of life. Now, if we were to put in three basic elements of story, we've already talked about conflict and resolution. The third element is basically an introduction. So very simply, um, I really believe that no story should be longer than two or three minutes. Because beyond that, with our attention spans so short today, we, we often lose people. And so it's really narrowing it down. So in a simple two-minute story, 50% of that time, in other words, one, um, one minute of that time, should be building on the conflict. So 25% is introduction, 50% is conflict, and 25% is your resolution. If you were telling a story, you know, and that's a basic guideline. It doesn't always follow that. But particularly if, if you're a speaker or even want to share a story. I mean, my husband, <laughs> you know, um, well, let me back up. You know, most of the time we can, uh, we, we get so into our own stories that we start rambling and we're sharing all kinds of detail that is important to us and we think it's important to somebody else, but it really isn't. And so even now after I've told you know, hundreds, thousands of stories. We may be visiting with some some guests, and um, I'm sharing a kind of a closing story just before we walk out the door. And my husband is nudging me and saying, "Just get to the point." <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was uh, many, not, not too many years ago, when uh, someone said to me, "This was the phrase they would always use with me: Would you just please laser beam it? Laser beam it." <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so it kind of puts it yes. into the sort of the 21st century, although that would be appropriate back back in other days. And and I've actually uh, been monitoring myself both during and after interviews. Sometimes I'll be up at, on Sunday mornings uh, listening to the broadcasts on this station and I'll be listening to the interview and thinking, you know, you need to find a way to shorten that because you're you're taking too much time. Uh, you need to give more time to the guest. And I do realize that I can be rather verbose. I love that word, by the way. And by the way, that phrase right there, I love that word, by the way, is taking you <laughs> off into another direction. And then I come back. And Now, that's the other thing, too, is if you can add those kinds of uh, bits and pieces of information that sort of are tangents, but get back to your story to where that sort of makes a relevancy or... There's some humor there. Uh, I've, I've heard it said, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard it said that, that if, you can, um, if you can inject humor into your story, it's more likely people will remember it. Absolutely, because what story is about is experiencing you. And humor is the quickest way to just break down any, any barriers, any defensiveness, um, and... Especially, I mean, if somebody is naturally humorous, um, people already, if they're introduced as somebody who is humorous, people are already just listening with open arms and open hearts. But even if you aren't naturally humor, humorous, um, there are many ways that you can just add a touch of humor here and there. And it will, it, it will like I said, break down those barriers and people will be much more open to listen because it's a way they experience you. You know, that's to me uh, really extraordinary that we have this ability to communicate these stories that can uh, change other people's lives. Uh, I love James Redfield, who we're going to have on this program in the not too distant future. I've been trying to get him for years. Um, but, uh, I read his Celestine prophecy in the ninth insight, the 10th insight and so on and so forth. And the one message, one of the many messages that I took from his story was that of how we have messages one for the other. I have messages for you, Linda, you have messages for me. And if we, I use Star Trek analogies all the time, put up our shields those messages cannot get through the shield from the other person. 
we can send them out, but then they're deflected off of the shields. So we have to put down those shields. We have to be open and vulnerable and willing to hear what is being said, even if it feels uncomfortable. Uh, I even had that comment made to me now many, many years ago when I was just getting into this business. There was a woman who, and I'm pretty certain she's passed, but then again, if she hasn't, she's going to be 130. Um, Margaret, <laughs> Margaret Pekarik was her name, and she suggested that I go to Toastmasters, that it would really help me in my presentation, in my interviewing, and so on and so forth. And I did. I loved it. And I was, was and am very grateful to her for that experience that I had for a year or two. And I still have all those magazines that they sent out and all of the other things. But one of the aspects of the business of broadcasting that I always find so fascinating that people get very nervous about is, and I'm sure that you would share this, uh, this concept as well, and it, this might be appropriate, I don't know, in the context of storytelling is, even as you and I are speaking, what are we doing? We're ad-libbing. Uh, as far as I know, you don't have Certainly. a script. You don't have a script. <laughs> yeah. No script in front of you. No script in front of me. Yes, I have this uh, printout that you sent me of some of the ideas that you want to touch upon in this program. But beyond that, we're constantly ad-libbing. And I do have to say that, yes, I have, I have really taken to heart the, that aspect of laser-beaming it as much as I can. Are there times when it is appropriate to expand or is that uh, 12-minute uh, framework if you have that kind of time? Obviously, let's say at a city council meeting <laughs> or you're in front of Congress, uh, you, you want to keep it short and simple. But, I mean, just like what we're doing here, 12 minutes. I'm not going to sit here and talk for 12 minutes, certainly, but... Are there times when it is appropriate to elongate one's story? And how would one know that? Well, uh, certainly there there is time. And the best way that that I have come up to, to do that is to break it down. I'd actually talked about a two-minute story, but is there a time for a 12-minute story? Oh, mm -hmm. Yes. You know, um, I did a TEDx talk last year. Many TEDx talks are 18 minutes, although interestingly enough, more and more are being reduced to 12 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes. And the group that I happen to be with, that was their time frame, 10 to 12 minutes. And so most people will maybe take those 10 to 12 minutes and share a two-minute story. What I did um, and anybody's welcome to go on YouTube to take a look at that. Um, I entitled it, Your Story is Gold. But anybody can uh, take that. And what I did, and I didn't even realize it until just before, as I was practicing my talk, I thought my whole 10 to 12 minutes, I think it actually was at 11 minutes, was really an accumulation of five or six really short stories. So you take the bigger story and you break it down into, into two or three minute stories. So you're making that point, you're really bringing a point home every, every two or three minutes. And that keeps the audience, even if you're talking on a one-on-one, -on -one, uh, it's much easier to hold somebody's attention in two minutes than it is overall in, you know, 10 to 12 minutes. But you can do it if you just break it down, break the story down. Mm. I have, uh, th there was a joke that I heard and I shared it with a bunch of people and we're going back now to the 80s, 1980s folks. And, um, about three weeks after I had been sharing that joke, I heard, I kid you not, I heard Johnny Carson tell that joke on, tonight, on The Tonight Show. I'm thinking, wow, it made it all the way to Johnny. Well, I don't know if it came from me or not, but it was one of those jokes that you could tell real quick or you could elongate it. You could add all kinds of detail that you wanted to. Uh, just kind of depends upon, I guess, your demeanor. 
Are there some people who shouldn't use humor in their stories? Uh, or is that dependent upon the format in which they're presenting it? Uh, I know some people, when they speak, they might think they're funny, but they're not really that funny. The story's interesting, but the humor injections. Are there elements? And, l- and let me back that out to make it more general. Are there certain elements that, that you need? you kind of need to know who you are in order to know how to tell the story? Yes, there are. And that is a, that's a good question because uh, you're, you're absolutely right. We need to, um, you know, the best thing we can do is practice our story, practice our humor, practice in just, you know, especially initially with close friends or family and listen to their feedback and if nobody's kind of getting this or this is just, you know, off the wall somewhere, it doesn't make sense, then don't use it. Use what is inspiring to them, what will help bring the point across, and do it to different groups of people so that you can get a variety, you'll get a variety of responses. Um, but it's, it's always good to test that. Test your stories out, test your humor out, um, and, and just listen, listen to them. Most of the time we're so anxious to share and think because this is my idea, it's got to be a great idea, but we need to spend a whole lot more time listening to others than speaking. I got that too, a lot. <laughs> I, got that, I got that a lot when I was uh, growing up. I, I, still, I can still see myself and my mother and her sister sitting outside on my mother, grandmother's backyard on a bench, or I, I, maybe it was two chairs. They were sitting there chatting away, and I come walking up. I have no clue what this six- or seven-year-old was saying. And all of a sudden, it was my aunt who turned to me rather abruptly and said, Richard, please go away. Don't you see your mother and I are trying to talk here? You know, now some might have been put off by that, but here I am today. I'm sick, almost 60, and <laughs> I'm still talking. Uh, I don't know who's listening, but I find that interesting too. Do you think that there are people who have been shut down um, and made to, to believe that their story is irrelevant, uh, not important, et cetera, et cetera, and that you kind of really do have to work with them to sort of build up what their self-esteem, their courage, et cetera, et cetera, to be able to say, Hey, you know, my story is important and here it is. Oh, absolutely. That's a very important point because, um, you know, one of the number one benefits of story is to connect with other people. And the, the best way to make that connection is to listen to them. Ask them a few questions so that they know you are engaged. And um, draw out. You're, you're drawing out their story. And in doing that, they feel valued. They feel accepted. It's like, wow, he or she is listening to my story. I've never really, I've never, you know, especially if they're sharing from a very vulnerable place. I've had people in their 50, 60 years of age and said, I have never told anybody this. In, in fact, my background is a marriage and family therapist. I clearly remember this lady in her 60s said, I have not ever told anyone this, not even my husband. And I thought, wow, you know, how sad is that? And um, we had a major, major breakthrough. And every time she saw me, she just wanted to give me this big hug. She was so excited. And it was only because she she brought out her story and I was willing to listen Mm. to her story. And with that, help her to know, just empower her and help her to know that this is important. And I'm so glad you shared that. And by saying, I'm so glad you shared that, it was another way of saying you are important. Well, I can tell you that you, Linda Olson, are important because you are sharing with not just me, but our listeners about why your story matters 
uh, own your story and tell it with clarity, comf- confidence, and impact. And we are going to continue talking about this subject. And when uh, we come back from our uh, little break here, take some time to meditate and focus on what's really important right now. And maybe that's your story. Stay tuned to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We'll be right back. Tell me your stories. And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm here with Linda Olson. We're talking about Your Story Matters. It does. Uh, All of our stories matter. One of the things that I have found so fascinating, Linda, is, um, and of course music is a big part of my life, uh, both as far as, uh, uh, yeah, performing it as well as... um, uh, listening to it and the stories from the songwriters that I have uh, listened to for the better part of my life, probably uh, 55, maybe 50 of the 60 years that I've been alive. And some of the stories, I see the movies playing out in my mind and I'm thinking, oh, this would make a great miniseries. What a great story. What a great message and so on and so forth. How heartfelt and on and on and on. And sometimes I relate to the stories. It's like, oh, my God, they're writing about me, you know. Um, One in particular that I love so much is one by John Denver that starts out, born in the month of June, no silver spoon to help you out. Your mother had you naturally and naturally is the way you came out. Well, I was born in the month of June. I wasn't born with a silver spoon. We weren't poor, but we certainly weren't wealthy. We were middle class. um, And, uh, you know, I can remember having a great childhood. And growing up and all of those different things. And yeah, my brother and I, yeah, we fought. But, you know, uh, we're still good friends. We still communicate. He's still healthy. Well, all my siblings, sisters are as well. Uh, and and we're all doing well. We're all still alive. My parents are still living. They're in their mid-late 80s. And we're staying in contact. Uh, and, of course, we're communicating the way we would, whether there were a virus uh, uh, pandemic or not. But... What I find so interesting is how outside my family, everybody, you, Linda, I, your husband, your children, uh, your neighbors, uh, the communities that are around you, we're all, and this is rather extraordinary, we're all dealing with the exact same scenario. And the last time I can remember the entire planet was dealing with the exact same scenario was July 1969. Now, yes, they were Americans who landed on the moon, but they were part of the human race. And the whole rest of the world was watching and holding its collective breath, making sure not only that they had this historic event, but also that they came back safely. And I have to say that it's a sad, sad thing to think that we haven't had anything like that for over 50 years that has brought us together in, in, a, in, a, in such a way that is, a, 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 is supportive, that is uplifting, I mean, I'm seeing these incredible scenes at hospitals where you see the what we used to what we call the first responders, firefighters, police. OK, they have that beauty. And this is such a beautiful ceremony. They have that beautiful row. They're standing on both sides and the medical professionals are walking down this incredible path of gratitude and thanks and my wife and I have experienced that when w- there was an officer who uh, whose procession was passing us on the roadway. We pulled over and we got out of our car and we stood, even if it was just our hand on our hearts, and we showed our respect. That to me is it, 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 it almost brings tears to my eyes to think about how in spite of what these medical professionals and all of us are facing, there's this this incredible gratitude and helpfulness and support and encouragement 
that's where a lot of these stories are going to come from, aren't they, in the coming months and years? Absolutely. And uh, I love that story. I love you sharing that because it's a celebration. You know, this was a huge, huge event, uh, you know, Mark's history. And as a world, we could celebrate together. And there are many, obviously, smaller events, and some aren't even smaller. They're big events. Yeah. And there's lot of celebration going on, but for the whole world to celebrate, what a huge, huge victory. And, you know, here we are at a whole different place in life. Um, And yet, I think what so often many people miss is that every day, every day we have things to celebrate in our own home. I don't care if we're doing a little happy dance or I don't care how we choose to celebrate. But yesterday morning I got up and in the shower, I was thinking, you know, I am just so grateful, grateful that I'm breathing, grateful that I'm safe, grateful that I'm healthy, grateful that we have family nearby, grateful for friends. And my heart was just overwhelmed with gratitude Here I am at home. People will say, well, what's it like being stuck at home? I said, I'm not stuck at home. Mm -mm. This is my place of peace. Mm -hmm. I like being here. I'm getting more done this month than I have for a long time. (laughs) That's what a lot of people are saying, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we have so much to be grateful for. Yes. I I have to say also that um, this whole concept or aspect of, of what we are dealing with and the staying at home and staying six feet apart. And I, I ask the question of you, a fellow human being who requires um, uh, physical contact with family, friends, the rest of the world. What is your perception of what we are losing, on the one hand, by not being able to physically connect with other human beings. I mean, that has got to be... uh, The only person I connect with right now is my wife. Okay? Now, she is furloughed at home. And she's in that that, that, uh, critical range. She's 69. And so I have to be really careful who I even come near when I go outside the radio station. But talk to us from your perspective about that lack of human contact right now. What What's your perception of what that's doing to the human psyche? Because I can tell you right now that when this is all over and we're able to do that, you're going to see a video all over the place of people who are just group hugging, you know, hundreds or thousands of people. <laughs> and it's just going to be incredible that we can connect again. Well, you're absolutely right that, you know, that physical touch, that physical contact is, is so important, just so important. And so people who, who can have that physical contact, uh, you know, like prior to this, and many, many people were lonely with it. So Mm. it's like, can't even imagine how lonely that is without it. So, for example, I actually have my mother-in-law has been hospitalized for the last three weeks, and I thought, oh, this is the last place you want to be is in the hospital right now. But unfortunately, um, and it's not with a coronavirus. Oh, that's good. Uh, and she, yes, she did have surgery, and she is doing better. And it was one week into it that her husband, her children, nobody could come and visit her. And so we all, we set up a phone schedule and we make the phone calls. Um, and, you know, that's helpful just to even hear a, hear a friendly voice. And for now, uh, things like Skype and Zoom, of course, have become very, very popular. Uh, FaceTime, whatever it is, so we can even see the person, even if we can't touch them. I actually posted on Facebook last night. It was a cute little, um, cart, you know, cartoon thing 
uh, with Charlie Brown. Mm. And he said, when I can't see him, I hug, I, I, what did he say? I hug my people in prayer. I give them a hug through prayer when I can't feel them. And I thought, okay, that's the best we can do right now. But does it make a difference? And does it affect us? Absolutely, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. In, a, in a huge way. And you're right. When we're past all of this, there will probably be more group hugs and, <laughs> and happy dances and everything else than we've ever seen. And it needs to be that way because that's all yeah. part of celebrating. Absolutely. Absolutely. And at the same time, I take a look at the creativity of people. Um, uh, to respond to the shelter in place, as it were, or stay at home. Uh, people who are were going to get married, and they actually hold their ceremony in their home, and they created cardboard cutouts of all of the people that were going to be there, set up the chairs. I, it's like, okay, <laughs> it's not the same, but hey, it's it's something, and you get to move forward, and life goes on. Uh, and on and on and on. And it's like you say also, those little stories, those small stories of kindness and compassion that we see are, are honestly, they're beyond heartwarming. They really are. It just, it melts you. And you, you just think, wow, this is absolutely incredible. Uh, and I think one of the greatest stories I saw was of a, an elderly woman uh, she was, she was, of course, staying at home, and she's in that critical range, that zone, if you will. Uh, and her neighbor, um, she wanted to buy her stuff and bring it over to her, but she doesn't want to get too close and so forth. Are you ready for this? She has her dog go over to the woman, take the grocery list, bring it back to her. She goes to the store gets the things, then puts the bag in the dog's mouth. He takes it over to the elderly woman's doorstep, <laughs> and and the dog is loving it. The dog <laughs> is loving it. And it's like, wow. What wow. a, in, on the one hand, wow, that's such a small gesture, but it's huge. It really is. And yes, it is. And you're right. It, it you know. This is a time to be very creative and do things that maybe we wouldn't normally do. I had a yeah. friend um, just last week text me and said, uh, you know, we made this big salad. Is it okay if we come and share some with you? I'll just leave it on the doorstep. I'll text <laughs> you when I'm there. And then you text me that you've picked it up. And I said, okay, that works for me. <laughs> and then you get on video chat. And you share the salad together. You eat together. I know a lot of people are doing that same kind of thing. Yes. It's, yes. It's, it's really incredible. And it, it also helps. It does help to pass the time. Um, I know that, that for my wife, initially, she was not happy that it was going to be probably the end of May before she was going to be allowed to go back to work. And, and that was okay. Uh, she finally worked through all of that to where now she's she's uh she, and, and she keeps asking my permission uh to not do anything i said you know first of all you don't need my permission and it's okay if you don't do anything for the next two months it's okay um this is a whole different period in time and if you feel that it would be safer for me to go out in the travel trailer uh, disrobe, take a shower in the travel trailer, put on a new set of clothes, and then take the other clothes and put them in the laundry right away. I'll do that. Whatever you need. Um, these kinds of things, are because now it's not just me. I mean, you know, if I catch it, okay, fine. But it's so contagious that I could give it to her. I could give it to a bunch of other people. You know, I, um, I, I jokingly said when someone asked me up a couple of weeks ago how many times I have washed my hands in a day, I said um, four times a day, which is about four times more than I normally wash my hands, uh, to which they said that was way too much information. But it was, it was, I was joking, but I, it's like we are beginning to understand, Linda, just how connected we are, aren't we? And the stories that we are going to put together they're, they're going to be pretty incredible. Uh, Absolutely. 
exactly. You're going to see you know, a bunch of books whole... coming out, aren't you? A bunch of books. <laughs> I do have. I do have a couple of books coming out. Yes, I do. And, you know, through this, I mean, this is a, an opportune time to really take a look at our story. Because as it's, all, it's always through crisis that brings out the best in us or the worst in us. That either we are reacting to the situation or we we are responding to the situation. Mm. And when we're reacting, you know, all those ugly emotions come up and we're complaining about everything. And unfortunately, right now, if we're spending a lot of time listening to the news, it's one sad and one negative story after the other. (laughs) Well, then shut it off. You don't have to listen to it every day to to keep up with things. Mm Or you can turn your computer on and just catch a little snippet here and there. You're not going to be staying behind because this stuff isn't going away overnight. And on the other hand, if we are responding to it, we can become very creative. And like you said, just even sharing kindness uh, in many different ways through having, you know, sharing that salad over video chat or whatever it may be. And just have a lot of fun. We can still connect with people, even though it's a different way than we did before. Uh, Our little five-year-old said last week, he said, Grandma, he said, I'm doing my jiu-jitsu class on Zoom now. And I said, well, how's that going? And he said, oh, it's good. I get to see my friends. (laughs) It's a lot better than just sitting at home (laughs) doing stuff on his own. So he was just thrilled. He thought, I said, oh, well, that's good. We'll be able to talk on Zoom then. (laughs) Yeah. So, yes. You find those things. And, of course, uh, the three key elements to making our stories better, of course, you're touching upon part of that. Uh, Gratitude and courage, and clarity. And uh, those are the elements uh, that you talk about, the three main elements, if you will, for making our stories better, to make our stories, strengthen our stories, if you will. And it isn't, again, it, it doesn't come down to having any kind of a moral or a message. I know a lot of people like to do that. They they want to teach other people, you know, uh, you know, though, but really sometimes just hearing the story is enough. Um, I have to say that when I was a kid growing up watching one of these TV shows called Little House on the Prairie, mm-hmm. almost every episode I would be in tears. I wouldn't be crying aloud or anything. It just I'd have tears going down my face, uh, you know, because they, they were such great human interest stories in a time when you didn't have electricity and you didn't have a lot of the things obviously that we take for granted today and yet boy they what they found out what was really important in that time which is just as important today community well, okay, Richard, you may not know this, but I actually grew up in a little house on the prairie, <laughs> in the, on the Canadian prairies. And, you know, we only got electricity three years before I was born. Oh, my and goodness. My Come older on. sister, who's three years older than I am, it was exactly the year that she was born that we got electricity. But, of course, along with that, not even having electricity, of course, we knew what it was like to be in the use the outhouse. There was no running water. There were no flushing toilets. There was nothing. So she emails me. (laughs) I'm just going to throw this in. She emails me and she said, um, this is in Canada and I'm in Southern California. So she emails me and she's, well, how are you doing right now? I mean, are you hanging in there with everything? And of course with, um, the whole toilet paper hoarding that had been going on. And she says, do you have toilet paper? And I I said, listen, that is the last thing I worry about. You know how you and I grew up. We used catalogs. (laughs) I said, as long as the mail keeps coming, we're good. (laughs) Well, you know, I feel the same way. Uh, My wife and I, we, we marveled at the whole thing. And um, just we had to chuckle because what it said to us was that these people who are hoarding this, 
uh, are have no creativity whatsoever. They do not understand that you can't eat it. Okay, uh, you could clothe yourself in it, I suppose, wrap yourself up in it, but it won't last long. Uh, and there are other ways, uh, other than uh, toilet tissue. Uh, and uh, it's just amazing that uh, people think that that uh, toilet paper is going to be their salvation. Uh, you know, I, that, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of is that they think it'll be their 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 saving grace. Uh, but well, uh, see, to me, that's where the reaction comes in. Yeah, that kind of thing comes out of fear. It comes out of panic, and we're not even thinking clearly. Yeah, and we need to calm down and recognize, wait a minute, what is really important, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. uh, for Mm -hmm. us right now? Yeah. I mean, as long as we're safe, as long as we are able to get food and water and come down to the very, very basics. But you're right. Many people haven't grown up with just the basics. And so it is easy to panic at a time like this because they've never experienced that. Before. Now, some would say that uh, the last time we had something like this happen was actually in uh, 1918, I think it was, with the Spanish flu, uh, which I find interesting. They will call it the Spanish flu. Um, In that day, it was not a big deal because that's, I guess, where it came from. Uh, Whereas today, now, when they call this the Chinese flu, it's more of a derogatory comment towards the Chinese because, quote, unquote, they let this happen, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't want to get into that because that's irrelevant. Uh, the reality is that we as a global society, we're facing this. Uh, and I'm hoping that people will take a look at what's going on and realize how connected, how impactful we can be on the lives. Or actually, I shouldn't say can be just how impactful we are on the lives of other human beings. Uh, and it doesn't take much. I mean, you get closer than six feet to somebody and they sneeze or cough, even if they sneeze or cough into their elbow, you may have just contracted the virus. And now you've got it and you won't know that you've got it for two weeks, roughly. And in that time, who knows who you will have spread it to. Um, and I find it fascinating, uh, if you, Linda, that you know we're hearing people who are complaining about uh, what uh, uh, our country's governments and governors have done uh, to literally shut down our economy. Well, I don't think it's totally shut down. There are still aspects of it that are still moving. And people are coming up with creative ways online of, um, uh, uh, of, of making money and doing things to, to get by. Uh, so I think that in one sense it's a good thing. But by the same token, this generation and the last few generations going back have never experienced anything like this. And I, the first thing I thought of, Linda, was we're doing something different this time. I think of Einstein, who always says that you cannot solve a problem with the same consciousness that it was created with. And you've got to do something different, right? Well, when they decided to shut down whatever it is they decided to shut down and then tell you and me, uh, you know, uh, Jane and Joe Citizen, please stay home my God, they've never told us to do that before. Well, gee, maybe that'll work. If we just stay home and stay away from each other, it won't spread. And we can get through this a lot quicker and a lot easier. But I don't think they did it quickly enough. And again, I'm not casting aspersions. Don't get me wrong. But I felt this way for 40 years, that if they would shut down the airlines and transportation for two weeks, when the influenza starts moving about the planet, two weeks, that's it, two weeks. And we've already been through a month of this. If we'd done this for two weeks, it would have been over. I, I honestly believe that it would, it would be over. But mm. uh, the stories that are going to come out are going to be incredible, I think, uh, of courage and inspiration, uh, of compassion towards their fellow human being, uh, people who are making masks for the frontline first responders in the medical community. Wow. I'm here. I, I'm uh, the stories that I am hearing and seeing on TV and online of people who are stuck at home, but they're not stuck for something to do to help out. And I, my, I have to applaud all of their efforts, uh, and I encourage everybody to 
whatever uh, you know how I say at the beginning of the program you know if you can if you can send us financial support great but we'll take energetic support as well we can use that send out that good energy to these people help them out in whatever way that you can in that regard because uh, it's going to go a long way to help us to get through this to help us to reconnect as a society uh, as a civilization globally let alone nationally Great stories that are going to come out of this, and I hope people will pick up a copy of your book, Your Story Matters, uh, and and follow the tips and start writing or recording their stories. Uh, it's just a remarkable thing that that and and then you're a part of this this remarkable thing of helping people to share their stories, and I applaud you for that. Oh, thank you, and you're absolutely right. I, I loved what you just said. Record the stories or write them down because there are things that we are hearing today. There are things that we are experiencing that if we don't write them down or record them in some way, we will lose them. And this is a time where, like you said, in one way or another, it affects everyone in the entire world. We are more connected through this than we probably have been. You know, maybe ever. Yeah. Maybe because we are one way or another. Everybody is going to have their experience of this time and how it affected them, whether they were at home or whether they were, you know, um, a, a caregiver or somebody. You know, you think about these doctors and nurses. I've been hearing how doctors and nurses are driving into their own driveway at night and sleeping in the car because they don't want to bring this into the house. And um, I thought, wow, when they are working overtime and need the rest so badly, nobody's going to get the same kind of rest sleeping in their car. Um, Or some of them are renting a room or whatever it takes. But the sacrifices that are being made to help others wherever they can. But for you and I who are at home and maybe we aren't one of those first responders, but I'll tell you, we all have a phone that we can pick up, look through the phone list and start just going through and saying, I wonder who could use a call today and just reach out and say, how are you doing? Uh, You know, it's very simple. It's very simple. We still have all that access and all those tools to do that. And during the 1918 pandemic, we didn't have that connection. We didn't have the numbers. Uh, it's distressing to me that they keep talking about this is, this particular uh, pandemic is a data-driven and thinking, boy, how dehumanizing. These are people that are being affected by this. And I, I get what they mean by that, but it's like, let's not forget the human element here. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, I, I thank you for helping us to remember that. I encourage people to pick up a copy of your book, uh, Your Story Matters. Uh, uh, own your story and tell it with clarity, confidence, and impact. Linda Olson is my guest, and I thank you so much for joining us on the program. And before we go, uh, do me a favor. Uh, tell our listeners where they can. Uh, I'm sure Amazon, but what, what website uh, do you want us to go to? Well, the best place to pick up the book would be through um, through Amazon. Um, the other thing is, um, I encourage you to check out my website. It is www.wealththroughstories.com. And there's a lot of wonderful information on there. And you can pick up tools and resources um, uh through the website or in the book. I also have uh, different tools in the book and uh, resources available if you want to learn more about your story. And just remember, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story worth telling. Here, here. Tell your story because you just have no clue as to who you are going to touch with that story who you are going to impact, and how it will change their lives. And I go back to James Redfield's uh, adage about messages we have for one another. 
we need to be sharing them because it's what helps us to continue to build that big puzzle we're working on called our lives. And Linda Olson, I thank you so much for joining us on the program and hope that maybe one of these days soon we can get together in person, in studio, uh, to continue this conversation. Because, again, there's always so much more to talk about, especially the aspect of wealth through stories uh, because the people are going to be looking for uh, ways uh, to, to recharge their bank accounts, but also maybe it'll be a new career for them. They'll be sharing their stories all over the place and it'll, 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 it'll support them financially. That would be great. Uh, yes. We will definitely have you back. I'm Richard Dugan, and a reminder, WealthThroughStories.com is her website. Your Story Matters is the title of the book. Linda A. Olson is our guest. I'm Richard Dugan, and I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Until our next broadcast podcast, love to lull.